Hello, I'm Jody F. Welcome to Homicidal Impulse. Tonight, we're going to discuss the still unsolved 1985 murders of Deborah Elizabeth Merritt and Sandra Ruth Terrell, familiarly known as Sandy. Deborah and Sandy were women at a crossroads. The two friends, both mothers of two children, were navigating a new phase in their lives. Both were newly single. Sandy had separated from her husband of 18 years just two months previously, and Deborah's 10-year marriage had ended three years before. Both were underemployed. 36-year-old Sandy worked at a grocery store, and 35-year-old Deborah designed patches for jackets and caps. Both lived at the Quail Hollow Apartments in Baytown, Texas, which is a blue-collar city in Harris County near Houston. Both women enjoyed the nightlife, particularly at two now-defunct Baytown establishments, the Texas Saloon and the Mine and Yours Club, which sounds like a swinger's paradise. Sandy and Deborah had big plans for the weekend of November 15, 1985. They were supposed to fly to Los Angeles on a pilot friend's private plane. A couple from the Houston suburb of Pasadena was supposed to accompany them on the trip as well. While in L.A., the women were planning to attend the grand opening of a business owned by the pilot and possibly visit Knott's Berry Farm. The women packed a few things. Sandy took only her rent money, three dresses, a pair of jeans and a blouse, and headed out to Hobby Airport in Deborah's 1982 Silver Datsun 200SX. They never returned. When Sandy and Deborah failed to appear on Monday, their families knew something was amiss. Sandy had an important job interview scheduled she would not miss. The Baytown Police Department, however, was blithely unconcerned. Investigators told their families that both women had taken off and simply abandoned their children and apartments. That must be, in my opinion, a uniquely horrible time for the families of missing people. I think most of us can imagine a nightmare scenario where a loved one goes missing, but it never occurs to most of us that a loved one might go missing and the police won't even help you look. Sandy Terrell's parents, Al and Frances Strickland, were especially vocal about their dissatisfaction with the Baytown Police Department's investigation, or lack thereof. The women's families launched their own search, passing out thousands of flyers and staging several prayer vigils. Sandy's family also contacted a California psychic who said the women were dead and their bodies would be found in swampland near Highway 65. Finally, seven months later, in June 1986, there was a break in the case. Deborah's Dotson turned up at an apartment complex in Pasadena. That's Pasadena, Texas, not California, to be clear. The car was found only one block off the route the women would have taken to get to Hobby Airport. Oddly, the vehicle was missing a tire and it had only been at the complex for a few weeks, even though the women had been missing for seven months.
As clues go, the discovery of the Datsun was kind of a bust. The car's interior appeared to have been recently cleaned, and the vehicle was completely devoid of fingerprints. The women's belongings were not found inside, and no evidence of foul play was present. It would take another nine months, a full 15 months after the women vanished, to get some answers in the case. On March 26, 1987, workers mending fences outside the town of Winnie discovered the badly decomposed bodies of Deborah Merritt and Sandy Terrell in a dried-out marsh. Both women were wearing the clothes they were wearing when last seen alive. Their purses and luggage were in a pile next to them. The killer hadn't stolen anything, not even their cash or jewelry. Allegedly, and I'm never sure how seriously to take these reports, the bodies were found right where the psychic predicted they'd be, in a swampy area just off Highway 65. The discovery of Deborah and Sandra's remains was fortuitous in two ways. Not only did their families get some closure, but the remains were found in a different jurisdiction. The shiftless Baytown Police Department was now off the case, and henceforth the investigation will be helmed by the Chambers County Sheriff's Department. They may have been more energetic investigators, but the Chambers County Sheriff's Department, I am sad to report, has been very tight-lipped about the crime. No forensic information has ever been publicized. No information about Sandy and Deborah's autopsies, their causes and dates of death, has ever been released. Now that the case was actively being investigated, detectives were able to hunt down the alleged pilot who was supposed to take Sandy and Deborah to L.A., a man who called himself, wait for it, Bob Wings. It turns out Bob Wings wasn't a pilot at all, just a building contractor with an invalid wife. He only posed as a pilot to impress women, he told police. Women must have been much easier to impress back in 85. Bob Wings told detectives he knew nothing about a Los Angeles trip and claimed he'd last seen Deborah and Sandy two months before their disappearance. Bob Wings, it's impossible to say that name without snickering, took and passed a polygraph test. Detectives were also able to track down the Pasadena couple the women had claimed would be accompanying them to Los Angeles. The couple told investigators they knew nothing about a Los Angeles trip either. Chamber County detectives did unearth some fairly salacious information, however. Allegedly, both Sandy and Deborah had inquired about getting into sex work. There was no evidence, though, that they'd actually worked in the sex industry. Also, although the source of these rumors is unclear, it is alleged that Deborah Merritt kept a diary full of incriminating information about the people she met in the Baytown nightlight scene. To be clear, investigators have never confirmed that the diary actually exists and whether it contained information worth killing for is unknown. 
The most bizarre investigatory tangent came courtesy of rumors about a local sex game in which the women allegedly participated. As reported by Witt Snyder in a 2003 article in the Baytown Sun, According to at least one police source, the women were involved in what has been described as a sexually oriented, quote, hunt and chase game. To summarize this game, women were said to be paid $500 for the weekend to be chased by male participants. Provided with lists of places to go, the women's goal was to stay ahead of the men. The men were given clues as to where the women could be found. Should the women manage to stay ahead of the men, they won a $1,000 bonus. But should they get caught, they became the slave of the man catching them for the weekend. Frankly, this sounds like the masturbatory fantasy of someone with an abundance of imagination and time on their hands, but at least one person, a Pasadena pipe fitter, claimed these so-called games actually occurred. Must say, if these rumors are true, Baytown nightlife in the 1980s was much kinkier than I would have imagined. Of course, in addition to these weird perambulations, Chambers County deputies also investigated the people closest to Sandy and Deborah, including their ex-husbands, who passed polygraph tests. No suspects have ever been named in the Merritt Terrell murders, and the investigation remains ongoing. Their families to this day continue to look for answers. As Sandy's father, Al Strickland, told a reporter from the Baytown Sun, and I quote, I am a Christian and I don't believe in capital punishment. But if I look into the eyes of the varmint that killed my baby, I just might change my mind. Certainly, an argument could be made that irrespective of the polygraph results, Bob Wings is almost certainly that varmint Mr. Strickland seeks. But the case is actually more complicated. It's possible Sandy and Deborah used the story of the Bob Wings LA trip as a cover story for some other activity. And unless that possibility can be eliminated, or some forensic evidence links Bob Winks or someone else directly to the crime, the murders will probably remain unsolved. All right, enough lurid speculation. It's time to personalize this crime. How can we use the tragic deaths of Deborah Merritt and Sandy Terrell to stay safe in 2020? The first lesson, I believe, concerns the need for a healthy dose of skepticism. Going forward, we should be suspicious of pilots named Bob Wings, doctors named Pat Surgeon, and military men who claim their name is Roberto Special Forces. Unless you see one of these ironically named folks manning a cockpit, removing an appendix, or killing bin Laden, there's a good chance they're lying. And if they're willing to lie about their names and professions, what else are they willing to lie about? Maybe we don't want to find out. The second lesson, I believe, concerns the importance of staying in touch. 
If you're traveling, you should let someone know where you expect to be at all times. Of course, today, thanks to cell phones, we have much better means of communication. Next time you curse the existence of mobile phones, remember that for all their faults, cell phones save lives. If I may misquote my favorite quasi-Tarantino movie, better to have a cell phone and not need a cell phone than to need a cell phone and not have a cell phone. Unfortunately, the final takeaway from the murders of Deborah Merritt and Sandy Terrell is a harsh one. If the police are unwilling to investigate the disappearance of your loved one, you have to be proactive. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert. You have to be prepared to be the squeaky wheel at the station house and in the media, demanding attention from anyone who will listen. No family should ever be in this position, obviously. Regardless of the circumstances, all cases of missing people who are believed to have met with foul play deserve an investigation. But God forbid, if you are denied an investigation, you have to be prepared to raise a ruckus to get justice. Print out flyers, stage prayer vigils, keep the heat on. Obviously, it's easier for white people specifically white women, to obtain media resources. Missing white women syndrome, as anyone who's ever watched Nancy Grace knows, is a scientifically proven trope. Yes, the media disproportionately focuses on upper middle class white women who vanish, but today, thanks to social media, it's possible to avoid the traditional media gatekeepers. Although Facebook isn't good for much, it does make it easier to get the word out about missing people regardless of their socioeconomic status or ethnicity. Luckily, there are also private resources today that weren't available in 1985. Texas EquiSearch, for example, is a search organization dedicated to helping families find their missing loved ones. It was founded by a man named Tim Miller, whose daughter Laura was one of the victims in the so-called Texas Killing Fields case. That's an organization that would have been a godsend to the Merritt Terrell families back in 85. Three decades later, things have changed substantially since Deborah and Sandy went missing. Losing a friend or family member is still unthinkable, but at least today you don't have to suffer alone. Thankfully, Sandra and Deborah's remains were found, but until their killer or killers are punished, their loved ones are still in limbo. The Merritt and Terrell families have been looking for the varmint that killed Sandy and Deborah for 35 years, and that is a fate I wouldn't wish on anyone. This has been Homicidal Impulse with Jody F. Don't forget to lock your doors.